right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Busted Header Podcast. I am joined, as always, by my backcourt partner, Hal Bridius, a.k.a. Hal, a.k.a. Jake. I, backcourt plays like a frontcourt, all right? It's all post-ups and little, <laughs> and little tricky passes, you know, real uh, real uh, Mark Gasol stuff over here for me. There's, In pickup basketball, we're more the frontcourt. There's, there's no ball handling, there's absolutely no shooting, uh... It's kind of funny. Yeah. I've I've played pickup with people before, and they're like, "Your shot looks good. Why do you not shoot?" And it's like, "Cause I rebuilt it when I was 24, and you're supposed to have like 10,000 reps, you know, to like master something. And I really have like 1,500. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not, <laughs> it's not there anymore. It looks great. It looks if I videotape it, it, looks just fine. That doesn't work. <laughs> There's a lot of bricks. The form looks great, so you can teach people. You just the, make sure they the don't still, see where the shot goes. The still frames I put on Twitter every now and then. <laughs> they just they pop off the page. <laughs> You'd be great in like an Instagram shot, but not like an actual exactly. video. Exactly, it's it's the thing you know the the movie thing right where they show me shooting and then they cut to follow the ball into the net so that you can like have a hard cut so that a professional can shoot the ball. It's just one of those. And you know, it's on a completely different path. Yeah, yeah, it's a different ball. It's definitely not even the same building. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how that works. Okay, we, we can't okay. keep waffling, though, because we got a lot of shit to go through. Exactly, we got a lot today on the recap. We so, only we only delayed uh, it like half a week, and we've got like four extra games compared to normal to talk about. Yep, and we have plenty of bad shooting to talk about that is professional. So, <laughs> uh, quick recap. Um, the Pistons, after losing 18 of 19 in a row, including 14 straight at one point, um, have gone 5-3 and three in the last eight games, including wins against the Bucks, Jazz, and Raptors. As well as, unfortunately, the Magic, which are our tanking uh, contenders here. So, uh, overall, the Pistons are now at 10-31. and 31, Three games behind slash ahead of Orlando in the Tankathon rankings. Get your priorities straight. Pick. <laughs> behind. Behind, Orlando. Behind. For Tankathon I'm number one. <laughs> and now we are getting uncomfortably close to the Rockets, who are two wins but only one loss behind. You do the math on that. I got confused just reading that. So, so they they have won two have more two games, more wins. but they and they've uh, only lost one more. Like Tankathon has they played three more games. Yeah, Tankathon, Tankathon has us listed uh, by their like thing that like accounts for all that as being three games behind Orlando, and Houston is three and a half games because they've played a few more. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, for all those people who told me that like we shouldn't uh, try and lose to Orlando and like. We need wins. It's actually kind of, sort of catching up on us, winning a couple games that we're not supposed to, which was my argument at mm-hmm. the beginning of the season. Like, it's really hard to lose, like, just 10 games, or to, to win just 10 games. Like, it's really, really easy to accidentally beat some people on a back-to-back, or, you know, it's COVID. Like, it, yeah. right? Like, the Pistons were probably going to accident themselves into, like, 22 to 25 wins. Um, yep, every team always does. It's not... <laughs> I wanna, This is what we should expect. I want to quick address the thing that I've been fighting with people about for a while, which is this idea that, like, next year they're just going to be good again. <laughs> and none of y'all learned from last off season when you told me that Cade was going to come in and, like, Kelly Olynyk was a huge upgrade and all this stuff, <laughs> and, like, the Pistons are going to be a playing team. And I just need people to understand. This year's team right now is on pace for 24 wins. They got, I think, 22 last year in the shortened season. So they're they're right on yeah, the basically the same. Year, actually, it's the same pace ish. 
the yep. pace to get into the play-in last year was like 35 wins. I don't have the math right in front of me, but like for the Pistons to get into the play-in next year, they would have to make a 10-win leap. And on top of that, the East has shown this year that it's actually pretty deep and competitive. Yeah, I don't like think right there's now, a lot of terrible teams except for Orlando and the Pistons. Exactly. Like looking looking at the standings, like the Celtics are at 11, the Hawks are at 12, the Pacers are at 13. Those are all not good teams, but they're not exactly awful teams. Like it's going to be competitive all the way up. And all those teams are good, good enough to take a game teams. off anybody at any time. Like we know yeah. the Hawks can beat the Nets or the Bucks, right? We've seen what happens if those teams get serious and need a win. So they're on a different yeah. level, com- you know, completely to what Detroit is. So I, I've i been trying to, to reason with people just like it's it's not healthy. This is, what, this is the phrase I keep using because, like, if your expectation is a 35-win season and getting into the play-in next year, you are going to hold players accountable for things that they shouldn't be held accountable for. You're going to be holding coaches to a standard they shouldn't be held. Like, you are going to be angry at everyone for not meeting standards they never should have been held to in the first place. And that just, like, right now, we already have people in the arena, Detroit home fans, cussing out Killian Hayes for not giving Cade Cunningham the ball on, like, the third play of the game. Like, I'm sorry. Not only are you just a loser... Like, you're just not a person that knows basketball, but, like, you're actively hurting the fan experience of everyone around you. You're actively hurting the the players. You know, you're just being disrespectful. Like, you're not producing anything. And all of it is because you're spending all this time on Twitter in my mentions telling me that the Pistons are going to be good in a year because they're going to get some major free agent. Like, slow down. This is just... Yep. We've, we've been through this again and again, but now we're halfway through this season where the Pistons are like getting the absolute shit kicked out of them until this very short stretch and people still seem to think that they're going to be like I, I don't know what the comparison is. like the Grizzlies I keep hearing the Grizzlies name we are not the Grizzlies do you understand or the Cavs the cat someone was arguing with me about the Cavs the Cavs are in, this is year four of their rebuild they started out with way more assets than Detroit did the Kevin Love helped them tank by just not playing and then came back they got a, a former yeah. all-star to just like come off their bench now just like magically like they got evan mobley in a lot by moving up in the lottery like three like the Cavs have had a they've gotten pretty they've, they've done pretty well from a, a gm standpoint there's some things in there that i question but like on balance yeah. kobe altman has done a good job and also they've been lucky as hell and it still yep. is taking them four years to get to baseline good not great yeah i mean baseline good <laughs> props to the Cavs because they've had some really draft picks that i've not like Evan Mobley, don't question, but like a Darius Garland was kind of questionable coming out. You know, signing Laurie Marketing, making a smart move to get Jared Allen. Like, they've done a lot of really good moves to kind of get them where they are. And that took a long time. <laughs> like, people think it's going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. They, You could say that Evan Mobley came in and changed this team, but it's not just been that. It's been getting Jared Allen, getting Kevin Love the back. The Allen trade is like the real, like, a lot of teams end up getting lucky in the draft. Whether it's because they move up or somebody, you know, the Jazz right now are the Jazz because Donovan Mitchell fell to them. So yep. a lot of people, getting the Jarrett Allen trade blows my mind still. They did nothing. Mm-hmm. They gave away nothing. Yeah. And they just land Jarrett Allen because KD and Kyrie didn't want to play with him. Mm-hmm. That's fucking... Does he want to play with DeAndre instead? I... I... <laughs> I, I don't I, I still that blows my mind that that's a thing that happened 
I, I don't get it. Um, okay. It makes no sense. Let's let's get into the games by game stuff here. Uh, which game mm-hmm. do you want to start with? Um, do you want to start most recent or far- let's start with the? Uh, I don't think my list here is in order, by the way. So I don't think no, it's, pro- it's kind of I don't think chronology matters at all because I'm not looking for chronology. Well, I'm going to start it in order because we left off with what the Bucks win, and then we recorded on the Tuesday before the Hornets game. So we can start with the Hornets game. Okay. I don't even know if you put in this. Uh, the the <laughs> Hornets game was was bad. Um, yes. It was an was okay Killian and Cade game, but that was a game with the G Leaguers still on the team, and that was a game in which um, Micah Potter plays 15 minutes and Justin Robinson yep. plays 25 minutes, and together they both go negative 25, something in that range. <laughs> um, they both were average at 25, yeah. And this is one of those games. The big thing you have to talk about is that this was a decent Killian game and a decent Cade game. Not the best games from either one of them, but both were playing okay. The Pistons mm-hmm. go into the third quarter down uh, probably like 12-ish. I, I'm not looking at anything here. so I'm, I'm, They're down probably double digits, but not terrible. Way, yeah. And then Kelly Oubre goes off for a bajillion points. It becomes like a 35-point game, and Casey just sits everyone and plays the bench. And I have a huge problem with that. Kelly had 24 points in the fourth quarter. Yeah. He was like 8 of 8 from 3. Or like 8 of 12 from 3. 8 of 9. He shot 8 of 9 from the floor, and that was all from (laughs) 3. In that quarter. Yep, in that quarter alone. Yeah. The the guy... But the problem is, Dwayne Casey did the thing where he's like, okay, uh, we'll sit the guys to start the fourth, and we'll bring them back in for the six-minute mark. Okay, a fair coaching decision. That's what you're supposed to do. Then they get blown out. And his decision was, well, I'll let the guys that got blown out just finish the game. And I don't get that. Like, mm-hmm. not a little bit. Those the, They didn't earn that right. Killian and Cade, they were coming off the back-to-back, and people were like, oh, back-to-back. I don't care. They're coming off COVID. I don't care. Uh, people who haven't paid attention to, like, recent medical studies, I, maybe I just need to tell you this. If, you, if the issue with a player, is that they don't have their game wind, right? You play the game. Yep. You The only way you can get into game shape is by playing games and by doing high-intensity training. If, Which, if, you're, if you're coming off an ACL injury, yes, you're on a minutes restriction because repeated wear and tear can hurt your muscle. They didn't have muscular injuries. <laughs> they had, I was yeah. sitting on a couch for a week and a half injuries. Or, or mm-hmm. not injuries, but fatigue. You play through that. That's how you do that. <laughs> so yeah. there's no reason. Yeah, and it, it's to one thing if them. you want to be competitive and sit them for a bit. But when the game's already over, and this is a problem not just with Casey. I've seen this. I feel like throughout the NBA, as people have taken the quick COVID hiatus, is that when they come back, they don't get rushed back. It's like you can't rush them back. We got to make sure that they're in game shape. It's like how are you? Because I see this on the Wizards too. It's like how are you going to get it in game shape without playing in the game? Yeah. Like that's the best way to do it. And it, I mean. I'm not a doctor. I don't claim to be a doctor, but like I have listened to a lot of doctors, especially uh, I've read a bunch of stuff about this in soccer, and like I've I've said this before, soccer players have been told, like when you go away on vacation, if you don't run your normal like ten miles, you will be more likely to have a uh, like a hamstring injury, the next game because you didn't run than you will because you did. Your body needs to be at that pace, and your lungs need to be at the, like, so. Yeah. That that argument makes no sense to me. Beyond that, you need to reward players for playing well. And Casey is driving us nuts repeatedly by just like 
Killian's having a nice game. He's being productive. He hits a three. Oh, he gets his fourth foul, and you pull him. Okay. Yeah. Who, ca- who cares if he fouls out? Mm-hmm. This is something I, I can't emphasize enough. Coaches are scared of people. You are going to lose most of these games anyway. The priority is not winning these games. In fact, the priority is kind of losing these games. If Killian gets six fouls, but he puts up three more shot attempts in between getting four and six, that is good. Right now we're trying to maximize talent, and the best way to do that is to maximize time on a basketball court. And if Killian fouls out, it's a learning lesson. Right. (laughs) Like, it's not, he's not the difference between us winning and losing any of these games to begin with, and we're not trying to win him regardless. And I'm I'm not as mad about Cade. Because Cade's getting everything crafted for him. The whole team right now is running every set for Cade. Everything is built around Cade. Mm -hmm. Killian's sitting with 24 minutes or whatever in a blowout. No, this is the time. This is six to eight minutes of time where the only goal you should have is running pick and rolls with Killian Hayes and letting him experiment, letting him fail. We've gone over this on this podcast. I've gone over this on other podcasts. I've gone over this on a thousand times. These guys have to play. Killian Hayes needs to get knocked down and needs to hit free throws and needs to get wonky threes up. He needs to do all of these weird-looking shit so that he can get back to normal. He has never been normal for him. I, I can't urge people enough to look at what he was doing in, in Europe and understand that like what we're seeing, the, the timidity is not who he was there. That was a, a, a shock for him coming into the NBA, and he's never been given an opportunity to play himself out of that. And that we, this is the chance you have. You are given a, a on a platter a chance to change that. So that was my big takeaway from the, the Hornets game. It's just that, once again, we're wasting this opportunity um, in a game where I, I didn't think he was playing his best game, but like I thought Killian played well. I thought there was every he had every right to play those six minutes. So... Hey, yeah. I mean, when you get the opportunity to give 12 minutes to the growth and development of Rodney Magruder, who we traded like a week later, and Justin Robinson, you got to do it. You got to do it. We missed that in the news section, but uh, Bull Bull was a piston and then not a piston. I don't <laughs> want to go too deep into that, but yeah. I was I was happy the Pistons didn't give up anything in the original trade. There was a <laughs> Brooklyn Nets second round pick. That, that, that was, was going to be also sold my tweet was like, "This is going to be the one trade that I will not yell at Troy Weaver about because yeah. it, it's I mean, like it's got it was fine. Uh, it's got a three percent, two percent chance of working out. Yeah, and I'm not mad at it. I think there are probably trades you could do that would have been better, but it wasn't. I'm not. It's it was, it was an irrelevant trade really. Anyways, I, I so do hope I'm not, that Bull is okay. I I know he yeah. That, that guy, I don't know if you know his story at all, but uh, he's been through a lot of, of trauma mm-hmm. from uh, his uh, his family had to leave, and this is bad of me, I can't remember if it's Sudan or Somalia, it's one of the S countries. It's, I want to say, um, Senegal maybe? Senegal, there's too many S countries, and I... I I'm, Su- Sudan, Sudan. It's, it's Sudan. So, okay. my understanding is like there was like a missile strike in Sudan, and the, like the Sudanese government blamed uh, Manute Bol for being like an American spy as part of this, so they were chased <laughs> out of Sudan when he was like two. And you were spot on correct, right? So, so like he's got all sorts of you know. I he obviously didn't grow up therefore in you know war war torn Sudan or anything, but like that's still a trauma that lingers with your family. And then Manute passes away when he's like eleven. Um. 
you know, and he's yeah. gone through foot injuries and health scares, and he's just a strange dude who I, I'm not entirely sure he's... Uh, he's a very quiet guy, and I'm not entirely sure he's always been that in love with the idea of playing basketball. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just hope that for his sake he, he comes through that all right, because it's never fun to be like have that dirty laundry aired out publicly like that. Yeah. It's rough for him, and I and it sucks when you're getting ready to go to a team where you might get a chance to play. You're kind of going from a situation where he was never getting into the game on the Nuggets, the way that their roster set up to a Pistons team that desperately needed a big uh, with Kelly being out, and he would have got his chance to maybe prove himself. So it sucks for Bull Bull. It, all around, it's awful. It's not good for anyone. <laughs> um, another little bit of news real quick here. We don't have any uh, injury updates on Jeremy, Kelly, or Frank. Um, Jeremy's timeline, we're still probably two weeks away from getting the next update. Kelly, yep, we were supposed to be getting news on, and we really haven't. He might have been in the G League at one point, working with the drive, just doing conditioning, but or not the drive. Yeah, sorry, I looked cruise. it up, and I could find that he was sent to the drive and recalled in like the same like day transaction. So I don't know what I don't know what happened. He there. practiced, is, is my guess. Probably, because um, <laughs> uh, they they're probably just reading that off somebody's tweet or a press release or something. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, I got it from the actual press release, but saw a tweet about it as well. So Frank Jackson might be getting back into game shape. Is that what you, I think you wrote this? That was here. what. Yep, that was the latest news. Um, he had. It sounded like he was about to come back from the ankle injury um, when he had gotten COVID, and now it's been like what two, three weeks off. So it sounds like he's just getting back into game shape, getting ready to go, kind of thing. Because he's had a little bit of time off. So okay. Uh, and then Jeremy, like you said, should be in the next. If they said six months from the original surgery, which was I don't think he had five, surgery. Did or he? Six, six months. Yeah, he, I think he got surgery. Okay, that's interesting. They said to... he got surgery. I want to say it was December like eleventh or twelfth. Um, so if you go six weeks forward, it would be next weekend. I don't think the Pistons are in any rush to bring Jeremy Grant back. Maybe to have him a little showcase before yeah. the trade deadline. So, but regardless, not about to rush him back. So yeah, maybe in the next week or two we'll get some news. Uh, you were right. I did. I did just check UCL surgery. Uh, and so everyone is out of protocols officially. Um, Dwayne Ooh. Casey did pump fake us last week with a a quick uh, false positive, I guess, before the Chicago game, but was cleared. Um, so it's only real injuries now, um, mm-hmm. for better or for worse. All right, yep. back to game recaps. Which one do you want to go to next? Let's continue going through the rough ones and go to the Memphis game. Uh, there's nothing to talk about Memphis, for the Memphis game. Yeah, <laughs> that game was Good. awful. Out of the quick. Uh, it was garbage time right away. Nobody played well. Uh, Memphis just beat the shit out of Detroit, and there's not much to talk about. All I want to say is that Memphis is a good team, and I like watching Memphis play. <laughs> and I'm happy for Zaire Williams that he's actually like. In the NBA, getting minutes. That is it. fun. I was told I had no idea how to feel about Zaire Williams in that draft because he just didn't do anything for Stanford. So it is fun to see him mm-hmm. starting to grow. Uh, I will say this: haul back on the John Morant MVP stuff. Uh, I, I this is actually bothering me a little bit because like people that I respect are starting to be like John Morant's like fourth in the MVP race, and like his numbers are insane. John Morant also doesn't play defense. <laughs> So like his numbers are in his numbers are insane, but they're not like popping off the page. They're not like, like Steph Curry unanimous MVP. Twenty five and like seven, like it's it's good. It's it's really good, but I don't think it's 
You don't make the case based off stats for him. <laughs> but and like that block he had, oh my god! <laughs> oh yeah, that, oh that was the, one of the greatest blocks. Oh my god! Oh my lord! <laughs> but like that was insane. I, I've been hearing much like John Morant's like the second best point guard in the NBA talk, and just like guys, I would take Fred VanVleet over John Morant right now. Like it's not a, it's Ooh. not a question for me because Fred VanVleet is an awesome point of attack defender and just like a really efficient all around player. And if, if I'm in the playoffs and I need to, like, win five possessions in a row, I'm pretty sure that guy is going to do it on both ends compared to Ja. And this is something people always forget, and they're getting real excited. And I'm just like, it's the same thing with Zion Williamson. Zion is awful defensively. There's a reason yeah. that when I say that, like, Cade and Evan Mobley were, like, the like number two and number uh, – or the number three, number four prospects I can think of – Post LeBron, actually, it's number three because Kevin Durant's in that list. But like I say that those two are like top five prospects in the last twenty years. The reason is they play both ends. <laughs> like Evan Mobley mm-hmm. is going to come in and play both ends, and I love that about him. Zion Williamson is a sieve right now. Assuming he gets healthy, I hope he gets healthy. But just like this is, you know me, I'm a big defense guy. I I have said for years, I think defense is more important than offense. It uh, being good on defense traditionally is what is a better projector uh, for um, defense and transition offense are better projectors of playoff success. Like just in general, that's being undervalued severely. And so I just need people to like slow their roll about some of the stuff. Like the Pistons right now could probably survive. And like they had the 30th offense and the 30th ranked defense. They could probably get to like 20th in both if they were 20th in defense. Like, that's that's the yeah. reason they're not better on offense, is that they're so shit on defense. So, uh, just always maintaining that perspective, please. Uh, there's There's been a lot of people who are like, Fred Van Vliet is not an all-star this year. And it's like, you are insane to say that, because, uh, A, like, all of his advanced metrics have him as, like, the fourth best point guard in the NBA, but also just Fred Van Vliet plays defense and, like, clutches out games, and outside of the Detroit game we'll get to in a minute has been awesome pretty much all year. Anyway, yep. next game. I was not prepared for the Fred Van Vliet, like, second-team All-NBA uh, take, but here we are. All right. Second-team All-Defense. I, I don't know about All-NBA, but that's, like... He he and Ja are, like, both in the similar range of, like, third-team All-NBA for very different reasons. But if I needed to win a game right now, I probably want Fred on my team. Right now. On the team two years from now, maybe we'll it'll be Ja. Like, I, I don't expect that yeah. to stay that way for long, but... I agree with that. All right, moving on to the game against Orlando. The, the Pistons narrowly won the tankathon, the tank off game. I thought they won this one kind of defensively. Uh, Orlando yep. shot, uh, I wrote it down here, uh, basically 34% from the field. Uh, the Pistons won mm-hmm. the bench war big time. They got a lot out of Lyles and Corey Joseph that game. Uh, it wasn't a great Cade, Cade game. Uh, it wasn't a great Killian game. Uh, we're starting to really see, like, uh, people may notice, like, I'm not get clipping a lot of things for Sadiq Bey um, on a night-to-night basis when I do my game clip threads. And it's mostly because Sadiq has started to just, like, do what you expect from him. And he's, like, mm-hmm. uh, my purpose for those threads has never been to be, like, the highlight clipper. It's always been to try and, like, pull things out and explain, you know, what we're, what new things we're seeing and what things we're seeing maybe break down. And, and like... Sadiq's starting to slowly just like do his role and you know he hits the he's taking the shots we want him to take and hitting the shots we want him to make and making the obvious passes and like I don't feel like there's a lot I need to call out on a night to night basis and, I, and that's where I want him that's that's a really good place to be for him um and I think we're starting to really this last 
uh, like 10, 15 games, basically the, the post-Jeremy era has mm-hmm. been the era where Sadiq Bey has just really settled into being basically what I want to see out of him on a night tonight. So the Orlando win yep. was one that I wish we hadn't had because we didn't need it. Um, <laughs> and I'll fight just about everybody on that. But uh, it was a huge Hami game. We can't we can't uh, forget that. Big Hami game. Yep. Hamadou Dunkalo. Boo. I'm working on it. Boo. Working on it. But yeah, no. talking about uh, Sadiq, he, he definitely had a big stretch um, towards the end of December, beginning of January, where he was putting up like 20, 25 a game, looking very comfortable in the offense, getting like getting on the boards when the team needed him, which is nice to see that he can transition from that, where he's like the center point of the offense, to use your uh, great article the other day about kind of the mosaics and the bitmaps and all the different pictures and all the resolutions. Like you can see that he can transition his game down um, like he has the past couple games where he hasn't had the ball as much, has a lot more people around him, like a Cade, like a Killian who were out with COVID, and yet he's still scoring pretty good, like pretty solidly. He hasn't shot at the best, but he's still getting the bucket he needs and looks comfortable in the offense without uh, doing too much. So props to Sadiq. He seems to be a lot more comfortable now than he did at the start of the year. Well, and it's it's really important to remember the perspective we want to talk about this in, in terms of like, I'm not that worried about whether he's making or missing shots as long as they're the right shots he's taking, right? As long as the process is good. I I, mm-hmm. I think he's working on his three-point shot. We've, we've talked about this before. Um, and I kind of think he's in a transition between some stuff there. And, like, yeah, he'll miss some open threes. I'm fine with him taking o- open threes. If he goes 0 for 8 on wide open threes in a game, that's cool. I'll take it. <laughs> and it's, it's yep. the fact that, like, I'm not currently sitting at my screen yelling at him going, why the fuck did you not pass it to Cade Cunningham wide open on your drives? Like that, I, I haven't had many issues with any of the decisions he's made in the last couple of games. And that's a really positive step because the first few months were just constantly watching Sadiq and going, where the hell did we learn these bad habits? Um, yep. And then to continue on to move to the next game against the Jazz, Sadiq, I think, was probably the main reason that we got in and won that game in the second half was he was he was hot from the field he was you know he, he was confident shooting he got a lot of points he was letting the offense run like he was very good in that jazz game and one of the main differences for us getting that win at the end so we, we do have to 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 couch the jazz game by saying gobert didn't play um which, which makes a big difference had... because like you're not wrong the, but the, the sound white that isn't awful the uh the play where Hamidou Diallo gets like an offensive rebound, or he steals it from uh, Conley, I think. Conley rebounds it and he steals it, and it's just Conley and Whiteside back, and like Whiteside is at the rim, waiting for the whole, like defense to come back, and he just like looks away from the rim and like takes two steps away, and Hamid like is like yes, thank thank you, and just like drives and dunks on him, and it's like Gobert is never doing that. Like there's just you know there's there's a, a there is a big gulf between them. Uh, Whiteside has oh, been yeah. better. Uh, the past couple of years than he used to be, but, um, I mean, obviously there's a big asterisk with that win, without uh, Gobert being in the lineup, but it's still a good Jazz no, team. No, and that's and that's Donald what I wanted Mitchell. to say is like there's you don't want to measure the the win by like we beat the like second best team in the NBA or whatever like the Jazz's record says there, and I I'm assuming they're like one or they're second in the West, third in the West maybe. Um, you don't. You don't. That looks like the moment. You don't want to. You don't want to like put it in that perspective because that'll give you the wrong idea. But they are still like, even without Gobert, like a middle of the table team, and it's like it was still a win where we did some really good things, really good processes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Both Cade and Bay start, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Both Cade and Bay end up with I think twenty nine points uh, on seventeen and fourteen shots. The Pistons clearly both, win the three point battle. Go ahead. And they both got pretty much all those points in the second half for Sadiq and Cade. They had forty six in the uh, second half. Yeah, uh, Cade gets the uh, goes nine of ten in the second half, or uh, goes nine. He gets nine of his ten made buckets uh, in the second half. I think is is what I have written down. Um, Mm-hmm. That's that's really good. <laughs> I don't know how. Yeah. Like, that's really good. This was a game Rex Kalamian coaches, which is interesting because it's also the first game where they start doing something we hadn't really seen before, which is uh, Cade wins that second half by bringing the ball up. The Pistons would move into like a one-four flat kind of look or a, or a five-out kind of look. Uh, they'd put Lyles in the corner. Lyles was having a, a good enough game to kind of be a respect as a floor space, respected as a floor spacer, and they were running Cade Bay two man game stuff. Bay was coming up, yeah. setting ghost screens, and and they were play- we haven't seen that before. And I've had a lot of issues with stuff Rex Kalamian has done with this defense. I think he's the voice responsible for the Pistons being way too aggressive this year, but. Uh, that was an end of game adjustment that Casey does not make. Flat mm-hmm. out, flat out, Casey does not make end of game adjustments that make any sense to me. He basically never has in his entire career. It's the biggest reason why I don't think he'll be the coach of the future whenever the Pistons actually want to win games. He doesn't adjust worth a damn. Um, but this was interesting. And then we move forward to the next couple of games, and they and Casey has coached those games, and he has used that Cade Bay two man game. Uh, he just used it to close the uh, Toronto game as well. So there is there is some interesting ramifications to seeing Kalamian get a chance to take that uh, that first chair and experiment a little bit. I think Rex was also the guy um, in charge when they ran uh, the, the third quarter of that game. They let Killian uh, go off a little bit more and do some more pick and rolls. And he only ended up, I think like two of eight from the field. Like it wasn't, he didn't have a statistically good game, but there was some really good sets and some good processes and some like really positive touches that I think carried over into a Chicago game. Uh, And I think we can talk, we can move on to that one where I think the Chicago game was the best we've seen from Killian period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, you're transitioning to the Chicago game. Sorry, I lost it <laughs> <laughs> there for a minute. Yes, this is the Chicago game. Please talk about the positives. I didn't get a chance to catch this one. And when I was going through my catch-up games, I was not about to watch this one. So feel free to elaborate on the Bulls game. He stood up for this, and he lost his audio. He can't talk. What, what do you mean? I want uh, My knees are killing me, man. This winter has just ruined my knees. Uh, you old man. I am ancient. I'm nearly 30. It's terrible. Um... I, this was the a first half where they basically ran it all through Killian Hayes. This this was a first half where it was it was Killian probably ran probably seven or eight like real pick and roll looks um, or or handoffs that were structured like Killian was getting to his left. Killian was um, you know getting towards the rim, and you can definitely tell like he doesn't give a shit about Vucevic like not not even the tiniest little shit about Nick Vucevic <laughs> because. Uh, you can always tell when he doesn't respect bigs because he starts playing like the Killian we saw in Europe. Um, <laughs> and you can tell early on uh, Isaiah Stewart really like put a hiding into Vooch again 
uh, because he's just Vooch's kryptonite. And we just, I, it was just a really positive game. I don't think Killian ended up with a great stat line. I didn't write it down, but I, I want to say it was probably like a five, three, and eight kind of thing. Um, or like an eight, three, mm-hmm. and five. I can't remember. But it was just one of those games where it was like, oh my God, this is the process that everyone has asked for. And the Pistons were in the game with one of the best teams in the league this year. A pretty healthy team, too. Like, I don't, I don't think the Bulls were missing much. Uh, I don't think Caruso played. but um, Yeah, Caruso was still out. But I think everyone else for the Bulls was healthy in that uh, game. Yeah. And so, like, this is what we keep asking for. And then we end up with the, the um, you know, more frustrating adjustments. Because they lose that game. When Casey goes to Lyles off the bench and Vucevic just roasts him in the post like 12 times in a row. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really frustrating for me because we've seen that Casey makes a lot of his decisions in the game based on the scoreline in terms of his rotations. And, you know, we, he, he's very willing to go into blowout mentality and like, I'm just going to play the bench for the rest, but it's the third quarter and you get your team blown out because you don't mm-hmm. adjust to like a very obvious thing which is that Vucevic does not care when you put an undersized four against him like this is a Luca Garza game that's why he's mm-hmm. on the roster is he's a seven footer who can do seven footer things when you need it um so I was I was pretty frustrated with that um and I was pretty frustrated at the end of the game because it's a blowout and uh Casey does the thing we've been asking for which is he puts Killian in at the end of the blowout and says, Killian, you can run some stuff at the end of the, of the game. And mm-hmm. you know what happens? The Pistons get their first buckets. They get like three good looks um, off Killian Hayes-led pick-and-roll stuff in the like early fourth quarter. And they'd been struggling with the bench unit for, I think, the most of the end of the third. And it was like, oh, look. Look what happens when you let him cook. And then they put Silly, uh, Saban on the floor. And Saban just, just doesn't pass to him. And they just run everything through Saban. And everyone just is okay with that. And this is really pissing me off. Because we're at a point now, um, twice in that in that Bulls game, once from Hami and once from Saban, Killian is, post, is, is spotting up in the left corner. It's the only corner of the floor where he actually shoots a really good ball. He shoots like 42% or something from that corner. He's a very good left corner three shooter. Mm-hmm. Hamidou Diallo doesn't pass to him in the second quarter, I want to say. Hami is crashing down the left side of the lane. It's a strong side kickout. Killian has a man screening nobody for him. Like there's, there's, I, I think it might have been Stu, is like on the in the dunker spot on that side. There's no defender there. Killian is wide open in the left corner. Hami doesn't look at him. Yeah. Then we get to the the fourth quarter. Saban does like a Nash dribble. He dribbles underneath the rim. Again, there is no defender on Killian's side of the floor. Killian's in the left corner. He's spotting up. He is actually shot ready. Saban dumps it down to Luca Garza, who is covered by like six people. There's like three pistons in the lane and the entire Bulls team. And he throws it to Luca Garza. It gets, I don't even know if it makes it to Luca's hands. I can't remember the, the exact, but like we're at a, we're at a point now where guys are not respecting him as a shooter on his own team. And I, I'm sorry, this is deeply rooted in how he's been used throughout his career so far. 
The fact mm-hmm. that he's constantly being asked to shoot movement threes in the right corner, like that's a thing that happens a lot. Uh, if you look at his shot chart, the left corner, he's, again, he shoots pretty well from the left corner, is this really tight cluster of makes and misses, what you'd expect from a spot-up shooter. And on the right corner, it's X's and O's all up and down the, the wing because he's always just cutting into that corner and getting bailout kickouts and just garbage time stuff. If you, if you look at all his like movement threes, they're all in that corner. And by the way, that's a, that's not the corner you want that for a left-handed person, just for the record. So, (laughs) yeah. So the, we know we have a problem now where all the things we've been complaining about in terms of coaching and how they've structured this offense have come to a head in the fact that the team no longer is looking for Killian in the spaces on the floor where he's actually comfortable. That that is like a cascade failure event that just mm-hmm. we can't gloss over. You you it's it's like Killian Hayes after Saban looks him off there's like 4 minutes on the clock at that point. He's there's there's no time after that where he's shot ready in the corners. He's open in the corners. He's just standing there. Cuz he knows he's not yeah. getting the ball. So you've immediately, by, by setting this team up to have this kind of behavior, and by, by first of all, by not calling a timeout like after that, like that's where a, good, a coach calls a timeout and cusses Saban out and says, you've got a teammate open in the corner, you need to pass that to your open teammate. By not doing that, by not holding this team accountable to playing the right way, you've just taken your, your point guard who was having his best game maybe of his career, certainly his best game of the year as far as I'm concerned, and you've just you've just wasted four minutes of it. You've ruined the emotional, um, the 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 positive feedback that this game was providing. All that's down the drain, because you you just didn't handle this correctly. And I'm I'm obviously it was a couple of days ago, and I'm still pissed about that. I yep. The, there to is, give some actual to give some numbers to your argument here, from the left corner, Killian is on the year nine for nineteen, shooting forty seven point four percent. A hundred percent of those makes have been assisted. Looking at the right corner, he is 5 for 17, shooting 29%, and 80% of those have been assisted. So you can see the numbers right there that most of the shots that he's getting over there have been, on, on the left corner, have been kickouts that he's shooting right away. On the right corner, it's kickouts that he's not comfortable shooting and it's getting it either off the dribble or something like that. So, like, you can <laughs> you can see squarely well, the numbers, and I'm sure by watching the film as well. You can and, see there's, the and there's some stuff, um, Killian... Uh, when he goes left, he's a little more willing to get to the rim. When he goes right, he's going to be more of a pull-up shooter. Let's just—it's the same thing for for uh, right-handers, right? When they go left, they want to shoot a little more than when they go right. Um, mm-hmm. So there's sometimes where he's going to be dribbling and get trapped and go into the right corner because that's just kind of the only area he has to escape, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But th- it's just—it's just this is a problem that if you don't make a concerted effort to call this out in film and to say, hey. You know, it's the same. It's the same for any of these players. It's like Saban Lee, for he's he's improved as a shooter. He's still not a good shooter, but guys are making concerted effort to kick out to him. Mm-hmm. If they treat him the way they treat Killian Hayes, nobody is going to be asking for Saban Lee to like play over Corey Joseph because he's going to look like shit because he's never going to get the ball. <laughs> like, yeah. the 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 way the team behaves with him in the game versus with Killian, despite the fact Killian is a better player, point blank. Right now, mm-hmm. probably forever, Killian's a better player. But the way the team treats them is very different. And because you've allowed that to fester, you're now, uh, uh, what's the, there's a phrase for this. Like the, the prophecy is becoming, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like we think Killian's a bad shooter, so we don't pass to him. So he never gets good shots. So he never 
looks like a good shooter. It's like, this is a chain we have to break and it has to be broken by a coach at a structural level by reinforcing good and bad plays, you know, by, by calling it out in film. Uh, and it's, it's very frustrating because we should not be having to do this, uh, two years into Killian's career. And I mean, it's, he still hasn't played a full season's worth of games, but like, this is stuff we can identify already. This is, this is a pattern of behavior that is far too ingrained at this point. If that, if that had been Sadiq Bay in the corner, Saban's passing that a hundred thousand percent. It's not a question. Yep. So, all right, we'll end on a, a high on. note. First off, before we get into this, can you guess the team that the Pistons have the best record all time against? Is it Toronto now? <laughs> it's Toronto, motherfuckers. <laughs> Be, because, due in large part, because due in large part, Casey's the last six and zero against them. <laughs> Casey is eight and three against him, and they've won five straight. When the Pistons have been the worst they've been in pretty much franchise history. Is that eight and three um, in the? Uh... Regular With season? Casey. Yes, I we haven't played them in the postseason though. Oh, no, it's, sorry, it's the box I'm thinking of. Uh, I don't know why I got yeah, that. The- <laughs> That's my bad. That's yeah. my bad. <laughs> yeah, the Pistons have a 60.8% winning percentage, which I felt surprised about because I feel like Toronto has always given a, us a tough time, especially in the Palace, which, mind you, they do not have a great winning percentage against the Raptors in the Palace, uh, but have a shockingly good win percentage on the road 56.3% percent of the games in Toronto we've won so I thought that was a fun little nugget before we jump into the game itself that is uh it was a, it was a good all-around game I thought did you get a chance to watch this one yep I did get the recap on this one like I was able to watch this one uh on a replay so uh good stuff especially like you you put it here uh maybe I put this here <laughs> which was great all-around defense I liked a lot of what we saw being aggressive with the hands um but special shout outs to Beef Stew and Hami as well uh, but Beef Stew, I want to talk on real quick um, while we made this point, uh, which is you had talked about him. I don't know if you talked about him against the Bulls, about how he's been doing so good against Vooch. Right. But in general, since he's came back from COVID, he's been like a step above defensively, especially as a rim protector, which is something that you could tell the Pistons needed. To, it became a lot more apparent when it's Trey Lyles playing center and Luca Garza playing center than a Isaiah Stewart or a, even a Kelly Olynyk. So. Um, I think we've, he's been very aggressive defensively. He had, like, the highlight of the year um, with his, like, stone-cold block against Hassan Whiteside. And he had another great block as well um, in this game against the Raptors. I forget if it was against Siakam or who it was against, but I think he had another just... OG? Was it, was, it OG? It was one of the... I think it was OG. ...giant 6'8 wings that they just yeah, seemed to Yeah, one of the really lengthy guys <laughs> that the Raptors just find on trees, but... It was another, like I said, great game for Beef Stew. He's really been showing a lot defensively, and since he's came back from COVID, he's averaging 2.6 blocks per game, which prior to this, his average on this year and like prior to the stretch, and last year as well, was 1.3 blocks. So he's literally doubled the number of blocks he's got in the past five games. So obviously don't expect that to continue with that rate, but hopefully he can keep you know being aggressive on the defensive end moving forward. Yeah, it, this was a, a rough game for him just because he got called for some extremely stupid fouls. Um, mm-hmm. It's a good thing that this was a wire-to-wire win for Detroit because this was as match-fixy as match-fixy gets for the NBA. Uh, called for an, for an illegal screen that just like wasn't an illegal screen. Called for a rebounding foul where he wasn't fouling somebody and then just like forced to sit for the whole half, uh, like five mm-hmm. minutes into the game. He only played 14 minutes. He had one point and no actual field goals attempted because the one point came off a free throw obviously uh one rebound uh one assist uh two blocks three turnovers 
for Isaiah Stewart. Just like a really paltry line. I didn't think he played bad, but he just wasn't allowed to play basketball because the officials yep. were shit. So and that's something that the Pistons have had trouble with throughout <laughs> their throughout recent history. I feel like so. Um, yeah, and it's interesting. The Pistons this year, uh, and especially with with Jeremy Grant in uh, in the lineups, have been one of the league leaders in free throw attempts. Uh, that's been mm-hmm. a big shift, which is shocking because when they were good, they didn't get free throws. I don't know why they just decided to give us calls now, but uh, when you have Hami and, and uh, Grant especially yep. hurdling themselves at the rim, you, stent, you tend to get some extras. Um, yeah, this, this was a, another really good Cade game, though, right? He, he gets 18 points on 8 of 15 uh, shooting. Only one three, though it was a, a dagger of a three. Uh, he's still not getting to the line much. That's mostly just the refs. Like there was, uh, mm-hmm. there's a game, uh, a clip I should say, going around uh, Twitter this morning still because uh, it got caught by the the draft uh, Twitter population of him <laughs> stutter ripping somebody on the right uh, break and getting to the rim. He gets clawed in the face, like somebody like hooks his lip and like pulls it, and he doesn't get a call. Yep. And uh, and like, I I don't. You know, it's it's so it's so hard for me to look at a game and look at look at numbers like this and and evaluate whether somebody played well or not or or how many misses were misses and how many you know and how many would have been fouls because these officials are just so terrible. Um, mm-hmm. And it it just I I'm trying not to go on a rant, but like that it it actively harms players' development when they make a, a play that's a clear win and a clear uh, free throw draw. Like, Killian Hayes had a had, a, had one. Um, Hami gets a putback on this one. But Killian Hayes drives down the left side of the lane, and he throws up a scoop layup. And I want to say it was Barnes defending him. But Barnes has a forearm in his back and, and extends. It visibly extends the forearm and, like, pushes Killian in midair. Killian goes into the stands, and he doesn't get a call. That goes down mm-hmm. as a missed free throw for Killian. Everyone's ah, oh, Killian, how how dare you miss that? How could you have missed such a good open look? Because he did have an, well, he got fouled. But yeah. now the whole narrative <laughs> has changed because you didn't call an obvious foul. You're right there. You're at the rim. It's your job to know that a player putting his forearm into the back hip of a of another player and pushing and extending is a foul. That's the whole point of your employment is to call that out. So, uh, you know, it it's really hard to not be angry about this because not only is it just not the spirit of the game, right? It's not how the game is written. It's not how the game is intended to be played. But, you know, I have to sit here and combat narratives about players playing bad or, uh, you know, half the reason that people hate the charge call is that officials can't tr- uh, can't call the charge call correctly. They never call it based on where the ball was picked up, which is where, or where the, the upward shooting motion begins, which is where you're supposed to do it. Never gets called that way. Brad Davidson mm-hmm. should have like, fouled out of, like, every game he's ever played. But instead he gets, like, three charges called for him a game at, at Wisconsin because he slides in late and the rest just give it to him. Infuriating. That's not how this works. Um, so, anyway. There's more we can talk about with that. Oh, my God. Um, a great Trail Isles game. 21 points on 10 shots. He got yep. 10 free throws. Uh, seven rebounds. Um, an assist, two steals, two blocks. Uh, they don't have a, a real center that really like plays. Ken Birch uh, went out with, I believe, with an injury. Boucher, I believe, yeah. was out with an injury. So they didn't really have 
a player on the roster that could have challenged him. And he feasted. And they did the, the four-out type stuff again with him. And it just it really paid off in a good way. And it's nice to see... Uh, I think the community is is coming around to him at you know in some ways. In some ways, they still hate him, uh, mostly because I'm pretty sure it's just because he looks like Corey Joseph. I'm, I'm, I've really come to understand that he looks like tall Corey Joseph, and he plays a little bit like Corey Joseph, except he's a lot better. And so people just like yell at him the way they want to yell at Corey Joseph because he's on the floor a lot. But uh, it's it's good been, that people are starting to to appreciate him. I have been a noted uh, Trey Lyles fan. I feel like this year I've been pretty. Like, I've been enjoying the experience. I will be very curious if he ends up being, like, a trade kicker um, closer to the deadline with the way he's been playing. I don't see how they can. He looks like, <laughs> like, he's a small contract, but I don't... You never know. You never know what could happen with something like that. He, he only gets, he gets moved if like, you get a big back. Like, they don't have enough adult yeah. humans that are above 6'8 to trade him right now. Um, well, you hope that at some point in time, uh, uh, Kelly Olynyk comes back. And you got... Linux Garza stew. Yes. And maybe you get like a big back in a trade or something. But then maybe you can stop playing Cassius Stanley and stuff and actually like have a four in the off the bench. So um Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, a good Cade game. Um the other thing to talk about is we've seen Cade really struggle to to click with Isaiah Stewart. Um mm-hmm. this is one of the points I've got going down below uh here in our notes is that He's he's he hasn't found a pass yet that Isaiah Stewart can catch, and it's not Cade's fault. <laughs> this is a problem with <laughs> Isaiah Stewart, but this is this is just a, it's very emblematic of why the Pistons need to find a role man because we're seeing Cade. You know they they get down into the lane, Cade tries tries a wraparound pass, and Isaiah fumbles it, and they get down to the lane, and Cade tries a bounce pass, and Isaiah fumbles it, and he can't throw a lob because Isaiah can't go get it, and he tries to like th- like spin back around and tuck in the reverse or on the back side of the play, and Isaiah fumbles. and it's just um, it's a problem that they're that we're seeing is Killian has just stopped trying to pass to him, like if he's not <laughs> wide open, Killian just doesn't care. Uh, and Killian will take bad shots and, and bad layups instead of passing to his big because his big isn't really open, even though he's kind of supposed to be open. Um, and so it's just it's just it's making it obvious that once again that the Pistons have a problem, even when these two guys are playing well and running good pick and rolls. And it's uh, we're starting to see that uh, that Cade Bay two man game become so important in part because uh, it's the only pick and roll partnership besides Lyles that is producing. A response from the defense. Um, but I mean, he's been clutch as hell. Kate has just, just really. Yep. It, what I don't know how else to talk about just this period in general. Other than to say he's been clutch as hell. Yeah, I think you could say that three times over. He's shown it time and time again that he is comfortable like getting those high pressure shots in those situations where you need them. So. I don't know what else to say, but we definitely found someone who can take, uh, you know, he can definitely be the person to lead an offense down when they need it. The, uh, the, the ambulances in DC are just invading again, huh? I've had to mute myself about three different times. I, now I wondered if sure you were just like breaking up with me out. and just like, we've had some, some discord connection issues a little bit and, uh, or, or what, but now I see. <laughs> I'm trying to make sure this podcast goes nice and smoothly. <laughs> at, at least they're not quite as loud for you as they are with Parks. When they go past Parks's window, they deafen us all. Um, yeah. 
What other things have we missed here? Uh, Cade's defense, I think we need to, to call out here for just a second. He's been making some really good defensive plays. Um, mm-hmm. And because he and Killian are making some good defensive plays, we're starting to see things like from Hami. Hami's not a good off-ball defender. Really bad off-ball defender. Um, <laughs> he has bad habits, I'd say. He's off off the ball. Habits are the only thing that matters. So he's a yeah, bad exactly. off-ball defender. Um, if you're a big, it depends on how you rotate and stuff like that. But yes. I mean, that those are He's not... habits. That, those are reads. Those are habits you've formed. It's all the same thing. Hami's uh, uh, bad off-ball. Uh, and the... Uh, what was the bad loss? Uh, the Hornets loss. Oh, my God. It was just it was just Josh and Hami were just rotating the stupidest stuff. Um, just monumental idiocy over and over. I, I don't... I can't couch it in any way. They were terrible. Um, but the fun thing is when Cade and Killian are playing well and they're able to like protect the middle and force the ball out into the wings, Hami's like starts to be able to get involved as like a trapping element. And those Mm -hmm. are fun times. That's when we see turnovers. You know, there was a time, uh, I want to say it was in the Toronto game, Cade, uh, I think was defending OG and OG drove into the, into the right. No, sorry. Uh, it'd be, it would have been the left corner and like Hami just like was there noodle arming it up. And, like, Hami gets one of his awesome dunks that he had in the Toronto game. Because mm-hmm. Cade was good defensively and rode his man, you know, who was trying to go middle, rode him all the way down to the corner where Hami was able to get involved and, and go out on the break. Those kinds of things are why being good defensively matters, right? That's why uh, having Killian out there just generating deflections and pressures and all this stuff is so important to this team and why, you know, it doesn't really get measured in the box score. But why it has a big impact is because a lot of these Hami runout dunks are Killian and Cade putting pressure on the ball, and you know creating turnovers and creating easier rotations on the back end. Um, mm-hmm. And they just allowing someone like Hami to shine, right? And they just keep getting better. Cade especially is really figuring some things out. He's he's figuring out some of the the physical tricks he's got. Uh, it's really impressive. It's really fun, and uh, I'm I'm really just enjoying that part of it. Yeah. No, it's fun to see that those three especially have a pretty good defensive cohesion, and I kind of like what I see out of them. All right, anything else you want to bring up from uh, from the games or about any of these guys before we move on? Well, we talked for about an hour about the games and the players. I think it's probably time to continue on. <laughs> All right, um, let's see some some quick one quick thing. Uh, Luca Garza, he hasn't been used much in this stretch. When he does get used, he's always in the lane. The whole point of Luka mm-hmm. Garza is that he's like a 40% three-point shooter. I know his percentages right now are a little low in the league. I think he's yeah. down to low 30s. He's 30%. Um, but, like, yeah. he's a pop threat. Even if it's just elbow jumpers, he's a pop threat. Uh, he's not going to win you games in the post right now. So uh, there was a couple plays. Um, I'm trying to remember which game it was. And I, I forget. Memphis I'm sorry. Game, probably. Um, but there were a couple of plays where them. they were running, uh, him and I think it might've been Chicago. Uh, they were running okay. some, some pick and rolls with him and Stu on the floor and Stu was the guy popping and Luca was the guy rolling. And what the fuck is the point of that? <laughs> it's just my question. Like, I don't really understand yeah, that's backwards. <laughs> uh, the point. So, um, you know, again, I really want to see these guys. I want to see the coaches reinforce the plays that we've seen uh, that are, that have been good and positive. We've seen a lot of really good positive 
uh, moments, and let's let's try and make those moments a, a continuation for whole games moving forward. My God, the Pistons really did have a stretch. They played as A. Stewart and Luca Garza together. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, I'm happy to watch that. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, a quick uh, around the league bit. You want to take any of these? Yeah, sure thing. Clay is. I don't know why he said Beak. He's back. back. He's back. And boy, did he come back and just show off. The first, the, do you hear the story behind that first play? No. Where he he got the he came off the screen and got the ball, and uh, their coach, Steve Kerr, said the play was designed so that Clay comes off the screen and gets a catch-and-shoot three. Okay. In case that Clay said, fuck it, and went straight to the rim and dumped it over two people. <laughs> it was, if you didn't see that play... For anyone listening, go watch that play because it was ah. After not seeing Clay for two years, well, that wasn't. Beautiful. I don't think that was the first play because I know I know he took a couple of jumpers and missed them. And uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, maybe it was out of a timeout or something. I can't remember exactly when it but, was. But uh, well, and then there was there was the his first bucket was a like a nice scooped in layup that was really good. Um, but my favorite part about seeing him dunk was he said in an interview, and I don't know if it was right before or right after the game. But he said in an interview he hadn't dunked, period, during any of his his rehab. And mm-hmm. so to see to see him come out and just be like, "Fuck it, I feel good," and you know, put put one down, like not not a fingertip dunk either, put something down on somebody, was really good. Yeah. Uh, not the most efficient clay night or like the best defensive clay night, but just uh, the dude I think missed like nine hundred days of basketball. Yeah. He he missed pretty much two years. Yeah. Right? Two, two seasons and season. uh, a long, long layoff for Clay, uh, an, uh, an ACL and an Achilles injury back to back. Just one of the most mm-hmm. fun guys to root for. One of the easiest guys to root for in the whole league. Uh, having the Warriors uh, intros where they, they, Steph Curry has ruined the intros. I don't know if you've paid enough attention to see this. Steph Curry doesn't. Uh, <laughs> You know he's he's the best player, right? So he gets announced last. Steph Curry doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't wait on the bench for intros. By like the third name, Steph Curry like jogs into the huddle and is like talking and and getting ready. So like he doesn't the the like and from Davidson yada 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 Steph Curry that that whole bit like always falls flat because Steph just skips it. So yep. for Clay's return, they they announce Wiggins. I think is like the third guy. Steph's already in the huddle dancing with Andrew Wiggins, and they call Steph's name fourth and then they give clay the returning yada bit and you get to see clay you know come off the bench and get his name and get the get that moment that was really cool that's that's you know Mm -hmm. and and clay is suddenly back in the uh the game ops package the video package before the games like that's all just really really fun and a really nice moment and a really great way to kind of handle stuff and i always appreciate when teams you know, do the little things for moments like that. Mm-hmm. No, I agree 100%. It's nice to see. All right. To get back somewhat towards the Pistons, um, Cam Reddish now off the table, which I am very happy about personally. Um, but now the Hawks do have an extra first, and they could do in a trade. Um, the most recent trade machine one that I put through was the Gallinari and Kongu, who I know you love and you want more than anyone else, for Jeremy and Trey Lyles. Well, Lyles. Why would we include Lyles? Because that's a small cap figure. Why would we not include Josh? We can include Josh. 
But I'm saying we can make the trade with Trey Lyles instead of Josh Jackson. I guess I would try and do Josh instead of Trey Lyles. But uh, yes, give me all of the double lot. Any Anyaka Akangu I can get, I will take all of it. He's good. He's so good. And I he hasn't been used a whole lot yet by the Hawks, but I want all of the, the Akangu minutes, please. I'm still on the Patrick Williams side of this debate, but I mean, it's, it's, I, I, this is one of those things I said on Twitter. It's about making, I, we don't know what they've been offered, right? Mm -hmm. We're all just trade machining away. Uh, I don't know if you saw (laughs) one of the ones, uh, I, I threw out there, Thomas Bryant's back and playing for the wizards and they don't really need him anymore. Would you You take that in there? As a wizards fan, I want to get rid of, I don't want him anywhere on the team. (laughs) Not that he's a bad player at all. Thomas Bryant's a fine player, but I want all those minutes going to Gafford. Well, and so would you take him as the salary filler along with like Denny Abdia, maybe a first round pick, maybe not for Jeremy. And a lot of people are like, well, that's not as good as Patrick Williams. And like, we don't know if Patrick Williams has been offered. Denny's pretty good. I am a, I am a big Denny As a Wizards, as a Wizards fan, I don't want to make any of these moves. If anyone gets traded, I kind of want to be Rui Hachimori. I want to hold on to Denny. Denny looks really good. You want to you want to try Rui's name one more time? Rui Hachimori? Hachimura. Ah, closer. Uh, my point is just like I got a lot of pushback also, of like need, that's not a I don't think that works trade-wise for the record. It does. <laughs> I don't think it does. Yeah, there might there might need to 8. be 6. There might need to be like one more uh You're not getting one more except unless that's bigger than that unless you're going to like Oh, uh, is there is there a Holiday Brother on the team? There is a Holiday Brother. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't got that correct. It was the Holiday Brothers' salary. It was it was like him and like throwing Josh Jackson into the mix or something to make the roster spots work. Um, or, God, was it like, I threw in like Luca Garza and... Trey Lyles. Uh, somebody, I don't remember. But, so, the, the point is, that I wanted to make is like, I got a lot of pushback from people being like, that's not as good as Patrick Williams and Derek Jones Jr. It's not as good as that. It's not as good as, as a Kongwu and, and Gallo. And it's like, that's not the point, right? They the, uh, the Wizards, if they wanted Jeremy, or the Hawks, if they want Jeremy, or any team that wants Jeremy, they're never going to be able to create something that, like, if you were to scale it all up on a point scale, is just, like, objectively better. Or worse, Mm -hmm. like, that's not how this works. These teams are going to put together the best rational trade they can, if they want Jeremy, and that's going to be on the table. And if they, you know, if we say, well, this Patrick Williams trade works, and the Bulls say we value Patrick Williams, it's not on the table. It's not worth discussing that the Cam Reddish trade would have been worse than the Patrick Williams trade or whatever. It's not on the table. If all the trades that we've all trade machined are on the table, then yeah, we can discuss which one's better. Troy, I'm sure, is sitting in his office looking at his scouts and and saying, yeah, this is how I want to build the team. I would rather take trade A over trade B. We don't get to know that, so there's no point in debating which one's better. It's a question of, is this trade package in isolation enough for Jeremy Grant? Right? Yeah. Is is Thomas Bryant plus Denny Avdia plus a, a Holiday brother good enough for the Jeremy Garza whatever I threw it together? Uh, it'd, it'd be looking at it. It'd be Jeremy in Magruder or lower, like Magruder, Saban Lee, Isaiah Livers or Garza. So, 
Um, well, and I was trying not to cut other people. Is what I was trying to do. Is try and keep an even yeah, yeah. roster, even out the numbers. But the the point is right. Um, if if that's on the table, you say okay. What was Jeremy's value? We we know from the Aaron Gordon trade that the Aaron Gordon value was R.J. Hampton, who was a late twenties pick. Uh, and who hadn't really produced, so so a, a question mark as a prospect, and um, and a first round pick that I believe was twenty twenty five Nuggets picks, so probably in the early to late twenties, and uh, Gary Harris, who is a good role player on a an inflated contract at this point, so like that was the value for Aaron Gordon. Jeremy Grant's maybe a little better, maybe a little worse than Aaron Gordon, depending on what you value. I think Aaron Gordon's the better defender. I, I would personally prefer to have Aaron Gordon. but um, Personally, I mean, I think I like Jeremy Grant better as a player, but I think Gordon, I feel like, is a little younger and might have a little bit higher potential. They're pretty They're pretty term. close. Um, they're both in, like, the... I think Gordon is, like, 26 and Jeremy's about to be 28. So they're they're pretty close. They're, neither, neither one of them is expected to grow... A whole lot more at this point. They're both pretty settled into who they are. The point is, those are nearly equatable players in terms of their value. If somebody mm-hmm. were to say, we swapped Jeremy for Aaron Gordon straight up, you'd be like, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. Like, that's just, they fill the same role. They're both like the fourth, fourth player on a lineup and yada, yada, yada. So we know what the value you should expect for Jeremy Grant is. Maybe a little better than what they got. So you look at it and you say, okay, uh, Patrick Williams, Derek Jones Jr., uh, that matches kind of the R.J. Hampton... Um, uh, thing maybe you get the Bulls pick, which would be really late. Like maybe that's a little better than what they got for uh, for Aaron Gordon. You'd be happy with that. Thomas Bryant, good role player. Uh, you'll have to pay him if you want to keep him, but like that's a good. He's not on a bad contract much unless he has just he's on an expiring contract. So yeah, he's, he's on an expiring like eight million. So you'll have to pay him if you want him, but probably not gonna like. You just have to keep doing the math and be like, does this add up to what I expect? And. I think people need to just get away from, like, what's the best trade? And, like, you have to find a trade. People do not understand how hard it is to find an acceptable trade. These guys do not have 12 offers. This isn't like the uh, the NBA 2K trade machine, right, where they're just, like, everybody puts their best offer. <laughs> 30 offers. <laughs> and there's 29 offers on, on. Like, you might get three offers for Jeremy Grant, and one of them is the Lakers being, like, do you want our 2028 pick and Taylor Horton Tucker? Like, you're going to get a couple offers that aren't real offers. So, you know, we can, we can point things out and whatever, but like, that's, that's just the perspective you have to have. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And like I said, we'll see what's available. I'm sure there'll be rumors that will come out. I don't know if you saw the athletic had an article about <laughs> trade prospects for Jeremy Grant, but that hurt my eyeballs just to read. Which one? It's like, Talon Horton Tucker. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> I didn't want to get out of this article. Yeah. Uh, it's very rare where I find an athletic article that I'm not excited to read anymore after reading a couple sentences. Yeah, I know so, James has done a couple of them. and uh, James has done some good ones. I don't want to include there's, there's, that, Well, but. there's there's been a couple of, like, you know, he's done a couple of these articles. And one of the interesting things is always reading the guys who... Uh, it's always the, the, the writers who are, like, trying to be objective, and they just, like, massively mm-hmm. overrate. Them. And, like, we all overrate players we see all the time or underrate them uh, because we see their flaws. But, like, some people just state things as facts that aren't facts, and it's, it always makes me laugh because it's like, oh, this guy can't do this. And it's like, you, you actually, he can. He, he does it just fine. He just is not part of the scheme. Like, we've seen him do it before, but you just, whatever. Anyway, uh, I did 
don't want to get too far into that, but there was there have been a few comments made in a few trade articles about a few different players where I'm just like, that's not how that really works, and you shouldn't be saying that in publication because it's very <laughs> embarrassing for you. Um, yep. Okay. Anything else you want to do before we get to our, our draft talk of the week? We are over an hour ten. Let's jump into the draft. Okay. <laughs> Who's our prospect of the week, Webster? This is Purdue's own Jaden Ivey. All right. Um, let's start then, I guess, with, with the, the real basics. What is Jaden Ivey? Uh, 6'4". I don't actually know what his listed weight is. Let's let's go to Tankathon. Tankathon looks got, like 200. 6'4", 200. Look at you. You can also look at Tankathon. Um, that's about <laughs> what I would have guessed. So a really, really yeah. athletic guard, right? Um, mm-hmm. We're talking like Russell Westbrook athletic. Like, like a legitimate... Oh my God! This guy covers ground and just like runs his ass off. Athletic guard. Um, yep. Unfortunately, we also are, end up talking about some of the same flaws, where you have a guy whose whose game is so predicated on obscene athleticism that sometimes the in between game is is what's missing. Um, he's more of a one and a half guard than than like a true point or a true shooting guard. Like you want the yep. ball in his hands a lot. But you really want to set him up in positions to use it before you like you don't want him bringing the ball up uh, and setting up your half court offense and initiating things at this point. He might grow into a long term point guard. Um, right now, I think you'd want him along someone like a Cade Cunningham to just initiate things. You run a simple, you know, an initial action, something to, just to get the defense moving side to side, and then you put it in Ivy's hands and let him try and get downhill off a dribble handoff or, or rejecting a pick and roll. Um, mm-hmm. he's he's a good passer, not a great passer at this point. He's he's a bit of like an escape passer, I like to call it. Like he he wants to pass when there's when he's already exhausted his own options to score. Um, sometimes that can get him into trouble. Uh, sometimes it means that he's making passes that aren't in the perfect windows to make passes. Um, but like in transition, great passer. He's a guy who who does certainly have the ability once he gets to the rim to make big kickouts and stuff like that. But he's going to be a guy who gets four assists a game, not a guy who gets eight right away, just because his he doesn't play like his job is to get cheap assists. Right? He's not trying to Chris Paul his way to to a twelve and twelve score line. You know, he's he's he wants to get twenty and four. Um, mm-hmm. Because he's got good athleticism, good uh, he's he's six four ish. Um, I think he'll probably get like a six eight wingspan out of there. We I don't think I've seen a, a real measurement yet, but he's got good long arms. Because he's a yeah. he's got a good profile as a defender. There's a little bit of a, a sleepiness. There's there's some stuff with like Purdue scheme it makes it a little hard because Purdue has two dudes who are just like massive. Uh, Zach Eady is like six thousand feet tall. Uh, I think he's I think he's like seven three and like three hundred pounds. Uh, so like all they do is is like drive people into Zach Eady and then he just swallows everything whole. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a, um, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, he's an interesting prospect. He's probably in the like number four range for most uh, draft analysts, I think. Um, yeah, I think from what I've seen, the top three are Paolo, Jabari, and Chet in some order, and then kind of a drop off where you get to like a Jay and Ivy or, or who was the Baylor guy? I don't know. But those are the the three oh on top God. of the now three on top. You've, you've asked me, and his name has just like disappeared. If you if if <laughs> if I just like looked for it, it's oh my God, this is really problematic. <laughs> uh, oh my God, this is not okay. Uh, uh, 
I have oh, Kendall Brown. So I can. Kendall Brown. Yep. Okay. Yep. Oh. Um. <laughs> oh. So, and and I think Ivy is probably like fourth on the board. There is, I think, a chance that like certain teams win the lottery and they they already have a big man and they go Ivy instead. Like this is a draft where, um, each of these guys has, um. They've got peak strengths that are of, of pretty high value in the NBA and also some clear weaknesses. And because of that, uh, even though those th- those top three are kind of a consensus top three, they're a consensus top three because big men are kind of a rarity. Like skilled bigs are still considered a rarity, even though they're not as rare as they used to be. And so mm-hmm. that, that kind of like positional value inflates it. But you could easily tell me that somebody drafts Ivy second, and it wouldn't shock me if it was the right team. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those, like, with the Raptors last year, when they got Scotty, Scotty Barnes. Then it's like, do they need him? No, not really, but it's the Raptors. They're going to figure it out, and it's, it was the right pick. Right, well, and it was like, okay, um, I, I don't know. The Raptors are maybe a bad example, because, like, I think they could have used a Suggs. They could have used Mobley, right? Like, they, they would have loved either one yeah. of them. Scotty was a good pick for them. They would have liked right, Mobley as well. They, they, <laughs> uh, they, they very clearly have... Uh, a plan for those kind of wings, right? They've got a system for those wings. They they know what they want out of them, and so I, like, I don't think we'd see Scotty succeeding like this in Orlando. Just point blank, I don't, no, I don't think no. so. Um, when <laughs> looking into that draft, I'm like, the, the Raptors are going to pick Suggs number four, and then the Magic are going to pick Barnes number five, and he's going to be another one of those Florida State wings that just disappears in the Magic. Right. It wouldn't. It would not have made sense. He would not have been. You know, he and Franz would have conflicted badly. Uh, they would have stolen minutes from it. It just would have been a mess. Yep. Um, so the, then I guess the, the question for Ivy is, uh, like what, what does he need to do to become like an elite NBA player? I don't love his shot. He's shooting pretty efficiently this year. I don't think it's, he's, he's got touch, uh, but he's also got knock knees. His base gets a little wobbly. Um, Mm -hmm. he, his arm angle changes from shot to shot a lot, which means that he's just, there's a lot of inconsistencies. It's better than it was last year. He might be a guy that just like is a good shooter with bad form. Sometimes it happens. Uh, certainly, you can clean up some things. Um, but I think right now uh, he's a, a a weapon, just just a, a, an awesome weapon in transition. In the half court, he's just a dude. Um, you know, he doesn't he he has a good handle, but he doesn't have the feel and the craft to. Uh, to navigate pick and rolls consistently, and like he doesn't have the in between gears, right? He doesn't have the ability to pause, slow down, manipulate the way Cade Cunningham does. That's not in his mm-hmm. game yet. Uh, not that he can't learn it, but it's not in his game yet. Um, and I think that if he's going to be a superstar, it's going to be because he's turned into Russell Westbrook and he's figured out, you know, how to just like every single moment weaponize that athleticism. And hopefully, he just is more efficient than Russ was, and like you have a great player. If he doesn't, uh, you end up with something. I don't, I don't have a good comparison. You just you don't you don't. The, I think I think it's very easy if like the shot doesn't come around and if he doesn't find the the handling craft, where he just becomes kind of a, a fringe all star, uh, not quite an all star guard. Um, he reminds me maybe a little of Victor Oladipo at times. Um, yeah. In a similar way, a and and like when Victor peaked you know he was an all-star guard and when he was just victor oladipo you know it just everyone just kind of knew there could be more but it wasn't quite there Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I, I see. Maybe it's just, you know, watching <laughs> guys that played <laughs> in the state of Indiana for college. <laughs> and, I mean, him and Oladipo, their games look very similar. I don't know if he has the same ceiling as an Oladipo on the NBA floor. Like, once Oladipo actually figured it out, which took a while and it wasn't really the easiest thing. But definitely, they both look like undersized twos that aren't really fully comfortable as ones, at least coming out of college. Oladipo eventually, I feel like, figured that out a little bit, where he was fine being the lead uh, scorer with the ball in his hands, especially when he was on Indiana. But they're both... He definitely, I definitely have some question marks around Jaden Ivey, and not, he's not exactly a prospect I want to see for the Pistons, uh, but he was just someone I felt like this would be a good time to go over someone that a lot of people know, a lot of people have probably seen him play, so I'm sure a lot of anyone listening to this is probably a Big Ten basketball fan as well, um, so they've probably seen him play, he's played in some big games, so I felt like he'd be a good one to talk about now. Yeah, yeah, I... I mean, he's obviously with the Pistons, he'd be Cade's backcourt partner. He'd be the off-ball guy. Um, you know, he'd play the two here. And I just, I don't know. I don't. I would prefer somebody who's a little more consistent and stable as a shooter and and uh, a better defender. But like, it would fit. I don't. There wouldn't be a fit issue. Um, I think similarly, in OKC, he'd be like a really good partner for SGA and just like add a, a huge athletic oh, yeah. burst for them. But again, Indiana as, like, the dude who just, like, adds the athletic zip to that team that they don't have next to Malcolm Brogdon and stuff, that would be, I think, a really ideal Ivy landing spot. Yeah. All right. I don't have anything else on Jaden Ivy. Do you have anything else before we go? Nope. I think we are good to shut it down for the week. All right. Then we will get back to you guys next week. Uh... <laughs> Normally we try and record on like Tuesdays and Wednesdays, but that'll be like one game in between. So we'll see what happens. Um, yep. In the meantime, do you, know who, next week. do you know who you're going to pick for our prospect of the week next week? I have not thought that far ahead. Is you never do. You want to go with it? No, I don't. <laughs> I usually like to do it in the last minute. <laughs> no, we'll find we'll find out. Uh, I guess you you'll all find out probably two hours after I do. <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime, we'll see y'all later. Bye. Today's music was made by Blank and Kit. You can find a link to their music in the description.